It was my first day at a brand new job. I was working at the Walmart warehouse in Northeast Calgary, and I was lined up to meet the person that would train me and show me the ropes of how this place worked. And I was wound up tight. My stomach was turning, there was a lump in my throat, and I waited to hear my name called so I could get matched up with my trainer and go and learn the ropes. It took a little bit of time, and as I was there, I was praying and asking God to bring the right person along, and sure enough, my name got called. And so I stepped forward, and as I did, from behind the crown, a distinguished gentleman stepped in front of me. His name was Gurdeep, and as he introduced himself, we uh, started to walk away down a long, long, long aisle of trucking bays and finally came to the place where we would work for the day. 52 feet of old Roy dog food in the back of the truck needed to be unloaded in 30-degree weather, put on the conveyor system, and sent out all throughout Western Canada. That's a story for a different time. But as we were walking, I started to notice that things were different about this man. He was dignified, and he was a statesman. He walked with his shoulders back and with his chest out. And he wore clothes that were very different than people who were there that day. For most of us there, we had on dirty jeans and steel-toed boots and a, just a, a t-shirt. But for Gurdip, yes, he had steel-toed boots on, but he had uh, wool twill pants, a button-up shirt, and a cardigan that buttoned up in the front. He didn't fit the part. And the closer we got to that trucking bay, as I looked down, I saw on his wrist a gold Rolex watch, and that's what prompted the question. As we got into the truck, I said to him, Sir, I have to ask you, I have to ask you what's your story? And he looked at me and he smiled, and in a very dignified way, he began to share with me. He shared that he had grown up in India. And as he had grown up, he had developed a love for business. And he'd gone to university and got a business degree. And after he was done, he went and he worked in the banks for years. He got married and he had kids. And as he and his wife were raising the family, uh, they had decided that they wanted to uh, give their family a different experience. They wanted to move to Canada. And so they sold their things. They packed up. They came over to Canada. And with a desire to, to do something new and provide for his family, he began to look for work. Every day he'd put on his suit, he would tighten up his tie, and he would bring his resume to bank after bank, institution after institution, only to hear the words no. That day he looked at me in a very statesmanlike way. He said, Aaron, he said, I, it got to the point where I needed to provide for my family and put food on the table. And so I took a job here, and to be honest, this is a great place to work. The people have been good, the bosses have been fair. The work is hard, but he said, every day, I long to be in the bank. That's where I was meant to be. And to be honest with you, I feel stuck. Those words, I feel stuck, have been words that have stuck with me for close to 20 years. Because I think it often describes the, the feeling of our heart as we work in difficult times and as we look forward wanting to get out and wanting, get, wanting to get into the spaces and places that we believe God is leading us to. Oftentimes, and even in moments like these in COVID-19, there's moments where we say as well, I just feel stuck. As we prayed uh, about what our next series was going to be, there was this overwhelming sense that we had an opportunity to talk about joy and to discover 
pathways to a joy-filled life and to move our lives from being stuck in a moment to unstuck with Jesus. And so for the next seven weeks, we want to work through the book of Philippians uh, and, and, and learn foundations and principles to build our lives upon so that no matter what circumstances or what experiences or what tragedies or what joys might come in our life, the, the, the grounded, rooted identity of our lives would be that we would be joy-filled people saved by Jesus and experiencing his joy no matter what life brings us. And so I would encourage you to lean in with us in these moments. Lean in with us for seven weeks as we talk through the book of Philippians and we discern what it is that Paul discovered as he was in prison writing a letter to a church that he loved. As Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi, he does so from a fascinating posture. He's stuck. Ten years before he writes this letter, he had come to Philippi and he had launched this brand new ministry. He had recognized the strategic position of this city to advancing God's kingdom and to advancing Christendom into the newer part of the world that people were exploring, what we know as modern-day Europe. And Philippi was a fascinating strategic city. It was a city that was uh, rooted on an important trade route that connected uh, what we know as modern-day Asia and present-day Europe. It was right in the middle in northern Greece. And as it was, it was a place of tremendous business opportunity. Hordes of people would come and travel through the city as they traveled from each region. People set up shop and business to, to capture the opportunities that were there and to advance their own cause. And so there were marketplaces, there were, there were vendors, there were business people all throughout the city taking advantage of the opportunities that were there, trying to take the step up in life that they believed was available to them. On top of the incredible business opportunities, there were two uh, mineral resources that were abundant in this region that made it a prosperous place as well. The gold mines and the silver mines that were there provided tremendous currency and opportunity. It provided a tremendous resource that people would use to become more prosperous and to step up in life. Well, you can imagine that an area like this would also be strategic and important for the local church as well. And as Paul discerned uh, and as he saw this opportunity, he knew that they needed to plant a church in Philippi. And he believed that it would prosper and it grow. And so it did, friends. This was a church that he loved. And we read in the first part of Philippians chapter 1 just how effective it was. They had partnered in the vision. They had caught uh, sight of what God wanted to do. And they knew that they had good news for these people. And in, in knowing these things, they had advanced the cause of Christ. They had proclaimed the gospel and had much success because of it. Now, 10 years later, Paul comes back to the area with, some, with a man by the name of Silas. And we can read about this in Acts chapter 16. And as he comes back, a dramatic scene starts to unfold. You can imagine all the people that were in the city. And as they're hustling and bustling in the marketplaces and the town center and the town squares, Paul saw the opportunity to preach Christ and proclaim the gospel. As he did a woman began to torment them and, and harass them. We read about in Acts 16. And she followed them around for days, just bothering them and harassing them. And it finally got to the spot where Paul got fed up. 
This woman, it says, was demonized. She was a fortune teller and could foresee the future. And as she would bother them and bug them, finally Paul got to the spot where he had enough and he just said, enough. And he turned to her and he said, in Jesus' name. And he cast the demon out of her. When her owners saw what was taking place, they they hauled Paul and Silas to the town square before the town officials. And they, they accused them of disrupting their business, of being a bother in the town. And so they arrested them and put them into jail. Scholars tell us that this jail was somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 feet wide by 15 feet long. It probably had 15 to 20 foot ceilings. And in the top of that ceiling, there were no windows or doors in the sides, but in the top of that ceiling was a small square where they would lower the prisoners and daily lower the food. It was squalor and terrible. They would have to go to the washroom in the corners of that place. They spent time in that place, and it was just miserable, dark, and gloomy, meant to wear the people down and destroy them. And it's in the bottom of that pit, literally bound in chains, that Paul pens this letter to the Philippian church. He pens this letter of affection and expresses joy and proclaims his love for them and his love for Jesus. And he opens this letter with these words. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Strong, affectionate words, proclaiming his love, and he'll go on to proclaim it even more. Sharing what a joy it is to be with them. Paul says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for you, I always pray with joy. And so as people, friends, who want to move from stuck to unstuck, As people who want to live joy-filled lives, there's something important that we can find and discern here from the life of Paul that we need to capture if we want to be joy-filled, even in the heaviest moments and seasons of life. And it comes in this. If we want to be joy-filled people, then we must stop relying upon the circumstances or experiences or moments or things of life around us and things of life that come to us to fill us and provide us with joy. If we're going to be joy-filled people, then our joy has to be rooted in and founded upon the work of Jesus Christ in our life. And we must allow that to lift us and work through us so that no matter what comes our way, we can be filled and life can't rob that away from us. So often in life, and even in the season of COVID-19, we've become dependent upon things around us to fuel how we're doing in life. And there's been things that have have been really hard. Our circumstances have changed. Our experiences, like these on Sunday morning, have been disrupted. Our things have been taken away. In some cases, our health, maybe not our physical health, but our mental health is getting deeply affected. And through it all, we have this sense that we have become stuck in life. But the reality is, is that These kind of things are going to happen more and more in life as we go forward. Life is going to get messy. Life continues to be hard, but it doesn't have to rob us of joy when our joy is rooted in Jesus. If we, like Paul, can take our eyes off of the temporal things in life and celebrate the grace and mercy of God in our lives and celebrate his work through our lives, then even when life gets rough, our our ongoing, um, our ongoing sense our ongoing experience with God is going to be one of being joy-filled people 
And it's literally going to change the way we engage with life. Paul's a man who literally is sitting in squalor. Literally, it says that he is in chains defending and confirming the gospel. And through it all, he says, I pray for joy for you. I pray with joy for you. And so as people who want to begin this journey, we have to be founded and rooted uh, and root our joy in the person of Jesus. Daily celebrating and remembering who he is and daily celebrating and embracing his work and his blessing in our lives. As Paul goes on here, he continues to remind us of an important posture that we have to embrace and an important posture that we need to remember and practice as we want to continue to be filled and to be experiencing joy. In all of Paul's letters, he starts with a very similar posture. And it's very important that we do similar things. He always starts looking at the joy and abundance of Jesus. And then he says, and he looks back with thanksgiving and with praise. Look at verse 3 and 4 here. I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, until the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul has this intentional posture of looking back so that he can look forward. And in doing so, it fuels him and fills him with faith so that he can approach the day and not be defeated, friends. Not, be, not succumb to the circumstances. Not be exhausted by the experiences but instead be filled with joy and have courage to step forward no matter what life might throw his way. And this is something significant that he practices that we see all throughout scripture. When God's people look back, it often gives them courage to be able to step forward. And we can see this in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter, in 1 Samuel chapter 7 verse 12, after God empowered the Israelites to defeat the Philistines, Samuel took a stone, calling it an Ebenezer, and he marked the moment. In our language here at Udak, we would say he planted his flag. And he said to the Israelites, remember this, that thus far the Lord has helped us. And he encouraged them to continue forward. He encouraged them to continue to be faithful, to be joyful. And he reminded them that God was on their side. Similarly, in Joshua chapter 4, after the, after the Israelites have crossed the Jordan River, uh, Joshua takes stones in Gilgal, 12 stones, and he builds a monument, an Ebenezer. And he says to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them this, that Israel crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Friends, the act of remembrance is the opportunity to look back and remember the high water marks in life with God. And as we remember them, allow them to fuel us with faith so that we can step forward and have courage to face whatever it is that is in front of us and that confronts us in each day. And this is what Paul's doing here. He's remembering. He's looking back. He's celebrating from the first day until now the partnership in the gospel. And he's saying, take heart, friends. Have strength, have courage. Because the same God who worked in previous days 
is the same God who's going to work now. And yes, this might look like disaster in the making, but these are the moments where God delivers us and we can have faith and we can have hope because he did it before and he's going to do it again. You know, on challenging days in my life, as I sit in my office, which is just across the foyer from where we're recording this here today, I often will take time to turn around and look at things that, that I've collected that remind me of the high water marks in my life. If you ever want to come by my office, I'll show you the shell that I collected on the first mission trip that I ever went on to uh, Vicente Guerrero, Mexico, that reminds me of the amazing way that God provided for our team and he supplied people so that we could build a house for a lady, uh, a, a single mom and her kids. There also is a piece of cement that I, I brought home from Guizaros, Costa Rica, a place that was literally a garbage dump that our church, University Drive Alliance, partnered with the Jimenez family to restore and renew and reclaim for Jesus. A place where we sent money down and they built a community center that they now teach the Bible out of, where they disciple uh, uh, new Christians and, and young believers where they teach life skills so that people can go out in this world and further make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I could show you the book, and I just brought it into my office today, that I got from a youth conference in 1996. A time in my life where I left Calgary and went to Regina and, and had a, a profound, dynamic encounter with God. A time where God called me into ministry. And that... That book, that marker, was something that I thought I had lost. And just last year, in a box that was tucked away in my parents' garage in Calgary, that book was found and now sits on my shelf as a reminder of a high-water mark in my life where God provided. Friends, we look back so that we can look forward. And as we do so, it fuels us and it fills us to be joy-filled people so that even in moments that feel completely defeated and destroyed, God reminds us and says, I'm going to do it again. And I'm good and I'm faithful and I'm the same today. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the God who never changes. This is, what, this is what Paul practices. And it's part of what we need to practice daily to live faith-filled, joy-filled lives in difficult seasons like COVID-19. In our previous church, I had a great friend by the name of Dwight. And Dwight was an amazing man. He was a general contractor. In fact, I would suggest he was the best general contractor in all of the South Okanagan. He built the straightest walls. He built it the fastest. He was the most honest. He had the most integrity. He, he was just an amazing, amazing man. And he was a, a man who had been deeply touched by God. At 55 years old, he came into the church one day and he said, I want to let you know that I'm going to retire. And I'm thinking, you're 55. You've got years in front of you still. He said, I want to retire and I want to come and build the church. And so he did. A couple of months later, he hung up his professional hammer and he came to the church and he started to do work around the church on a daily basis. He would straighten doors. He would paint walls. He would, he would fix the electrical work in a building that had been neglected for years because the church had no money. And every day, Dwight would come and set his hands to work to build God's kingdom and to just bless people around him and bring joy. Every day at 10 a.m. that Dwight would work at the church, he would come into my office and we'd have coffee together. He'd come in and he'd leave the door open and he'd start telling stories about what was happening that day. 
he couldn't trace a wire or the weeds had grown up tall or whatever the case might be. We would kind of grumble together and then he would start telling me about the things that he was learning as he was reading his Bible in a fresh way. It was unbelievable. The transformation that took place in his heart. And as he would start his stories or I would start my stories by grumbling and complaining as we would look back and be reminded of what God had done, we would be lifted and start laughing together and even have a sense of worship together as we shared. I remember him telling me he was reading through the Old Testament and he came in laughing one day and he said, those Turkey Israelites, they're just complaining all the time and no wonder God made them wander through the desert or let them wander through the desert. And then he'd say, you know what, Aaron? God delivered them. Despite their complaining, he led them forward and he brought great people in their life and, and, and he led them and, and he allowed them to cross into the promised land. And at the end of our time sharing together, we would pray together and we would just be so encouraged and so lifted. One day Dwight came into my office and I knew things were heavy because he closed the door. And as he closed the door, he looked at me and he had a tear in his eye and he said, I have to share something with you. And that day, my good friend shared with me that he'd been to the doctor's office and he'd been given a life sentence. He had terminal liver cancer and he was going to die. And we wept for some time that day. But as we wept, we started to look at each other and Dwight said to me, Aaron, he's going to do it again. And God might not heal me here on earth, but he's going to heal me for eternity in heaven. And there's good news in front of me. And we shared those promises. We looked back at what, had God, what God had done in the life of the Israelites and in the life of David and in the life of Noah and in the life of, of Joseph and other people. And we allowed that act of looking back to fuel us as we were able to look forward at what life had in front of, of Dwight. I remember coming to church on Sunday mornings and as, as we would get together as a church family to sing, I would look across the sanctuary, very similar to the sanctuary we have here at University Drive Alliance Church. I would look across the sanctuary at Dwight and as oftentimes we would sing almost weekly his favorite song because the church family knew what he was going through. As we would sing that song, Dwight would hold up his hands and he would cry out to Jesus. And we would sing Jesus Messiah when it got to the point where we would declare he would cry out with his hands high and tears streaming down his face. Oh Jesus, all of my hope is in you. All of my hope is in you, light of the world. He was a changed man. Friends, when we look back and when we intentionally practice this, it helps us to move forward. And I would suggest that as as people who long to move from stuck to unstuck, who long to, be, to move from hopeless and, and defeated to hopeful and joy-filled uh, people, we daily need to practice this in our lives. So what does it look like? What does it look like to look back? Well, let me suggest just a couple of quick things before we enter into our time of communion, where we will once again corporately look back together. One of the first things we can do in looking back is that we can just read our Bibles. And daily we can pick up our Bible and we can thumb through. I would encourage you to start in the Old Testament. Maybe somewhere like the book of Joshua or the book of Nehemiah. Read the, the journey through Exodus where God delivered the Israelites out of, the, out of Egypt and into the promised land. Look into our Bible and be reminded of who God is and allow that to fuel faith moving forward, friends. 
I would encourage us to journal. In my office, I'm not a great at journaling, but uh, there's seasons of my life where I've journaled. And I can look back, and just this week, I looked back at our time in transitioning here into Lethbridge. And I read that journal and was amazed at the way that God provided for our family and the way that he provided for me. We can worship God. And the importance of worship is equal to the sermon, friends, because it lifts us and it transforms us and it fills us with faith and it reminds us of who our God is. And so we sing, we meditate on the music and on the words, and we allow them to pierce our heart. So sing the spiritual songs like like Paul did in Acts chapter 16 with Silas. Sing the hymns of the faith. Sing the songs that remind us that he is going to do it again. He's going to move the mountain. He's going to defeat the devil. He's going to fill us with joy. He's going to do it again. He's going to do it in you and he's going to do it in me. Praise Jesus and sing those songs and remind yourself of who God is. And finally, and there's lots more that you can do to, to fill yourself and to look back, but I would suggest this. Actually, I'm going to suggest two things. Share your stories in community because your story is important to helping another person live a faith-filled journey too and a joy-filled journey. What happens in the life of, of, of whomever could be the very thing that you need to hear to lift you today and your story very appropriately could be the very instrument that God wants to use to lift another person and bring them to joy. Here's what I wanted to end with just a couple of minutes ago. Maybe you just need to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you in a fresh way what God's done in your life. This week I was out driving to the dump and I had a load of garbage in the back and my tarp was flying all over the place and I started to get distracted and flustered and finally I just stopped and fixed my tarp, and I just cried out to God, and I said, will you just remind me of your goodness again? And it was in that moment that God reminded me of that moment with Gurdip, where he taught me that lesson. He reminded me of journeying with Dwight McGillis. He reminded me of moments in our church family, like our church campout, or baptisms, or, or child and family dedication, or, or just being together and joking in our foyer. God reminded me of these things and it lifted me and it filled me and it fueled me to tackle what was in front of me for the rest of the day. Friends, life is hard. And in lots of ways, I I believe that God put dreams in front of us in the front part of this year. And I just want to proclaim to us and say to us that I don't think those dreams are defeated. They might be delayed, but they're not destroyed. And as people who can have perspective that joy comes not in the things that we have or don't have, not in the experiences we share or don't share, not in the circumstances around us, but joy comes from Jesus, we can be lifted to face even the hardest of things that are in front of us and the hardest of things that come across our path. Friends, joy-filled people are people who move from stuck to unstuck. There are people whose joy is founded upon Jesus and not based on circumstances or experiences or possessions or things of this world. There are people who regularly look back while they look forward. And as a faith community, we want to take a moment to do this just here uh, right now. If you have your communion elements, I would encourage you to grab them. 
And as you do, we're going to break the bread and we're going to drink the juice together. And so I'll give you a moment to grab your elements. And as you're grabbing them, I want to read these words. Important words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and following. And I invite you to receive them with me now. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance, looking back so that we can experience joy moving forward in remembrance of me. I'm going to invite you to take your bread and as you do, break off a piece or take whatever it is and just hold it for a moment. We're going to pray together and thank Jesus for the good thing that he's done for us that we never could have done for ourselves. Would you bow your head with me? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much that you died on the cross for our sins. And I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that you've promised to us not only your Holy Spirit, but eternity with you. God, that's an amazing gift. And you sacrificed for us. You defeated sin. You broke the curse of sin in our lives so that we could be people who, who know, know the deepest measures of joy no matter what the season of our lives. God, would you bless us today? Would you remind us afresh of the things that you've done? And in this moment, may we stand in awe of your work on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. Similarly, we take the cup. Jesus said, it says, Paul says to us in, in 1 Corinthians 11, that Jesus took the cup and it says, and after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Friends, we weren't meant to be defeated and destroyed. We were meant to be joy-filled people. People who know the victory and the lift of Jesus. People who've been washed clean by the blood of Christ. And so let's take this cup and let's celebrate holiness and righteousness and joy. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for this cup. And Jesus, as we drink from this cup, I pray that there would be a fresh sense and a fresh anointing upon our lives as we receive the joy of Jesus in a fresh way. Thank you for the blood that was poured out. Thank you that we've been declared as holy, righteous people before the almighty God of heaven. We praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The blood of Christ poured out for us. Let's partake together. Just before we go, friends, I want to just share with you about an opportunity we have coming up here that I think is really exciting. And one of the things that we can do to practice being joy-filled people moving forward within the appropriate guidelines of Alberta Health Services. On June the 21st, we're going to have a, a church picnic, something we haven't done for a long time. But knowing that many of us, as we've done the survey this week, many of us have a desire to be together. We want to appropriately meet. And so information is going to come out through our Facebook page and through our emails. But on the 21st at 5 p.m., we're going to have two picnics that day. One will be in the south at Kiwanis Park. One will be in the west at Nicholas Sharon Park. And information will be available to you 
We need to register online. We need to bring our own food. We need to practice social distancing, but I promise it'll be a great time together. A time when we can come together and share the stories of Jesus in our life and through our lives and be together as a church family in person again. In the coming days, we know and are anticipating that Alberta uh, Health Services and the Alberta government is going to release uh, the next phase of our relaunch strategy, provincial relaunch strategy. And as church leaders, we're praying about this and praying into this and planning and dreaming and asking God what he would have us do next. So we're inviting you to pray with us uh, and ask God and invite God to give to our leadership wisdom to know how to appropriately step forward so that we can be together in person again, not too quickly and not as trailblazers, but as people of faith who love the Lord and love one another. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful week.